0: Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. As we get into a new year, it's natural to look back on the past year. 2021 was another tough year for a lot of us, where we struggled to find the right balance between caution, social distancing, and our desire to live our lives fully. Birders have the advantage in that a lot of what we love to do can be done outdoors and either alone or in small groups pretty easily. In 2021, it became more realistic to travel, and so big year birding inched back onto the scene in the US. Tiffany Kirsten accomplished a record breaking lower 48 big year, finding 726 species uh, in the lower 48, all the while raising awareness of women's safety issues in nature. She's going to be a guest on an upcoming episode, and I'm really excited to talk with her then. But big years can take on as many forms as there are birders who undertake them. A big year is defined as an effort to see a large number of species of birds in a given geographic area in a calendar year. This could be in as little as your yard or your hometown, but more often in the United States is thought of at the county, the state, or on a larger geographic level, like the lower 48 states, uh, the continental ABA area, which is a traditional ABA area, or of North America, north of the Mexican border, Uh, the ABA area now, which also includes Hawaii, or the world. Many people uh, think of the ABA area as the continental ABA area, and that's because the movie The Big Year is about the epic 1998 ABA year when Sandy Comito, Al Levantin, and Greg Miller all undertook Big years to break Comito's previous record of 722 species that he set in 1987. They all shattered the record, with Comito winning the competition with a new record of 748 species, which held until 2015. In 2015, several birders undertook big years to, set, to try to break Comito's record. Some major things had changed by 2015. Some of them were positive, some of them not so much. The, on the plus side, and a huge advantage to birders these days, is the information age. eBird, many regional and state listservs and other things like social media, cell phones, email, text messages, social media, made rarities publicly known almost in real time and made communication much more easy. On the minus side was that airplane flights in 1987 tended to be pretty easy to get a same-day flight to almost anywhere because there are a lot of empty seats on airplanes. Prior to this past year, that was not so much the case. COVID has made, you know, canceling and rescheduling flights a little bit easier. But in general, up until then and in 2015, it was tough to just hop on an airplane and go someplace because flights were pretty full. Still, it was an epic big year in 2015. And in the end, John Weigel, a american born birder from Australia, came in first with 784 species, a continental ABA record. Olaf Danielson was second with 778, Laura Keane, who's a fabulous photographer and birder, was third with 763, and Christian Hagenlacher was fourth at 750. They all eclipsed the previous record and had incredible years. Christian has been a previous guest on the podcast. In 2016, Weigel had an additional Hawaiian list, so in the new A.B. area, which includes Hawaii, he had 836 species as a new record, and he promptly broke that in 2019 with 840 species. State big years are also popular. I've had Lynn Barber on as a guest in the past. Lynn, at that time, at the time we talked, held the Texas and Alaska big year records. Other uh, variations of big years have happened too. Dorian Anderson was my guest on the, one of my early shows, and he did his biking for birds big year in 2014 when he undertook a big year powered exclusively by human power, and he saw 618 species, mostly by bicycle, in the lower 48. Even stranger, Olaf Donaldson, wrote the book Boobies, Peckers, and Tits about his big year when he listed only species he saw while naked. So there's all sorts of crazy variations on big years. But my two guests this episode had pretty traditional types of big years. Both have been prior guests on the podcast. Jason Vassallo and I talked on episode 109 in July of 2021, partly through his ABA big year. Jason set out not to break the lower 48 big year record, But to have the biggest year he could, see the most species he could, while taking a year traveling around the United States and having as much fun as he could, seeing national parks, hiking, and seeing a lot of places of natural wonder. He ended up still with what's currently the ninth highest total of species seen in the lower 48 states ever recorded, and as my other guest on the show today suggests, may hold the record for the most fun ever had on a large scale big year. Will Brooks is my other guest. Will is a friend who lives here in Tacoma, was my guest on an early episode at number 19 in June of 2019. Will set out to break the Washington State big year record. The prior record was 370 species set by Sheron Ardenhagen Arden Hagen in 2012. That record held until Will broke it last year when he shattered it with 376 species last year. So enough introduction, let's hear about the fabulous big years of two good friends, on two different stages accomplished in the difficult year of 2021. These guys have had three weeks to recover and agreed to get together with me today to talk big-year birding. So help me welcome Jason Vasalo and Will Brooks back again to the Bird Banner Podcast. Hey, Will, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you, hey. Ed. Thanks for having yes. us.
0: I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I wanted to start with just having each of you sort of uh, give a rundown, you both did big years. Jason did an ABA slash lower 48 big year in 2021. And Will uh, did a Washington State big year, actually smashing the Washington State record for a big year this last year. So, uh, Will, why don't you go first and kind of briefly tell, you know, what a big year in Washington looks like and and how it went for you.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, Washington big years have sort of, been happening for a little while I think it seems like just about every year people give it a shot and so I thought I would try it myself I wasn't actually 100% sure at the start of the year if it was going to happen it was sort of a a backup plan to if a, a field work gig abroad ended up falling through which it did and so it ended up being a great backup plan you know it sort of started out as a strong year and then kept going so that's that's what it ended up being for me
0: yeah. Did it, did it kind of start with the winter run? Did that, that word bird was 2021, wasn't it?
1: It was. Yeah. Yeah. The start of the year was interesting. I sort of, again, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if, you know, it was going to be a big year or just a lot of birding, but, um, there were a lot of rarities in the state. And so I went around and chased like January 1st, I chased a saps, the yellow bellied sapsucker and a common grackle right off the bat. And then, I lucked out, I think on January 8th, I found a winter wren in Pierce County, in my home county, our home county, (laughs) and uh, it was, you know, a super exciting find, first state record, and so all of those together made it pretty clear that if if I did end up doing a big year, I should definitely go for it, you know, and put in my best shot, so it was a, a lucky beginning of the year for sure.
0: Yeah, lucky, lucky things happen to good people who go birding. So uh, good birders go birding. So (laughs) that's nice. Jason, tell me how did how did your year come about?
2: Yeah, so unlike Will, I was like prepared to do it from from January first. I like basically just decided that I wanted to go for it, and so I planned planned most of it out before the year even started. At least like the main bulks of the trips, and uh, took off running on January
1: first and. Didn't look back till the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, I definitely heard about it for a couple of years before you did it. Yeah. I didn't think you'd actually do it. So I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so uh, that kind of leads to how do you guys know each other? Yeah, I mean, well, you're from uh, California, and went to school here at UPS in Tacoma. And Jason, you're from Seattle and went to school in the Bay Area. Uh, how did you come to find out of each other and become friends?
1: Yeah, I think... It was uh, Jason reaching out and being a social guy that I think he gets all the credit for that. I, uh, I did some birding in Nia Bay and had some cool stuff. And then uh, I think Jason sent out an email after that happened, just sort of introducing himself. And I'm pretty sure I totally missed that email and didn't even respond for <laughs> a couple months. But then, uh, then he followed up and then, yeah, we sort of linked up after that.
2: Yeah, I had seen Will's name all over the Bay Area and eBird lists and whatnot. And then when I started seeing his name pop up in Washington stuff, I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." And I think I saw his eBird profile it said he, you know, was going to school at UPS and was from the Bay Area. And I had done the opposite, went down to school in the Bay Area from Seattle, and then got connected. And then um, from there, I, we just kind of started birding together. When we had mismatching schedules. Um, when he was back at home and I was still at school and I was back at home and he was at school. And then after that, um, Will's kind of hung out in Washington. So we've been able to bird a lot together over the last couple of years, for sure. How much
0: birding did you do together in your big year?
1: A bit, for sure. I, you know, Jason was all over the place. So <laughs> there are only a few months, I feel like, at most where you were around. But especially in the fall, we, we got out several times and saw some fun stuff.
2: Yeah, and I, I can think of at least a couple birds that we shared together that was the only ones we saw for both of our years. Um, like I said, was, I was out of the state a lot of the year, but when I was around, we definitely got together.
0: You guys found, I know, well, you found the Philadelphia uh, Vireo in eastern Washington this year. Were you yeah. uh, around at that time, Jason?
2: I was not, but we did go do a washtucna trip together at one point in the same spot, but a different time. hmm
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, one of the things that impressed me most about your big year, uh, big year birders in the past, there've been some, some uh, big year birders who are really, really good birders, and then been some big year birders who are uh, you know, avid and get around and find all the birds everybody else located. I was impressed that it looked like from fall, and Will's in the same county I am. So we, uh, you know, we all stalk each other a little bit on eBird to see what's happening with <laughs> each other <laughs> going birding. So I was always impressed that, uh, you know, Will, it seemed like one of your tactics was almost more like an ABA big year birder would do of going to the places where birds were likely to be found or rarities were likely to happen, and picking up, finding your own birds. Uh, An ABA big-year birder would, would by definition, have to go to a lot of prime places and find all of the easy birds there and maybe stumble across some hard ones and then chase a lot of hard ones. You went to the places where a bird should be expected to be found, and unlike most of us who do the same thing and don't find them, you found them.
1: yeah no that definitely was part of the strategy um and what made me sort of feel like you know even though the the previous record was a pretty high number it felt like it was beatable because of you know the potential for especially in my mind nia bay was the place to go where it would be easy to rack up a lot of rarities and and beat the record of course it was not open because of covid and that was really pretty crushing in the fall and it it ended up not opening when it was planned to but uh, yeah, I still made it out to Washtucna, sort of a famous Washington, Eastern Washington vagrant trap. And uh, I mean, I'd say I spent a lot more hours searching for rarities over the course of the year than I did actually chasing rarities that other people have found or going after breeding birds just by the nature of how the year shook out working over the summer and that sort of thing. and limited my time then. So I was glad it paid off, you know, I, I think those I found seven or so species that I wouldn't have otherwise got and that was the edge that you know I beat the record by seven species so
0: yeah you did what, and what it took. and uh, <laughs> yeah so Jason what was your year strategy I mean and I'm sure you were birding on a budget to to some extent I mean we're going to take 50 airplane flights this year and and mm-hmm. go to Alaska for two months and all of those type of things what was your strategy and and what was your motivation what 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 What, how how did it happen?
2: Yeah, so unlike Will, I started out at the beginning of the year saying, I'm not going for any record. That was never something that I was interested in chasing after. I kind of set a personal goal for myself of 700. Yeah, so I wasn't wasn't aiming for trying to get as many birds as I possibly could and exhausting myself. I was really going to have an enjoyable experience and um, get to explore the country more than maybe some other bigger birds get to um, get to bird across the whole country and also see all the amazing places. So I spent many days not even really focusing on getting year birds. There was a lot of you know hiking in national parks or you know just checking out fun camping areas and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't all about getting the highest possible species total for me, although that was obviously the main driver and what took me to these places. Um, was yearbirds but really the the exploration and the adventure was number one for me as far as my my goal
0: what were some of the highlights of all the places and i i kind of skimmed through your instagram posts and and for people who are interested jason has a i think it's a at jason 2021 big year something like that on instagram yep. uh scanned through a lot of your posts and some beautiful photography you're uh, you know uh jason's uh Unlike a lot of us who post pictures of birds, Jason posted some some nice pictures that weren't of birds, you know, some beautiful <laughs> places uh, to kind of underscore that you are interested in seeing the wonders of uh, the Americas of America while you're doing it. So what were some of your favorite places?
2: Yeah. Um, also, all my scenery pictures were just taken with an iPhone. So if I, if I had a better camera for that, I, I'm sure it'd be even more mind-blowing. Some of my favorite places... It's, you know, it's so hard to choose based off, you know, like what, what thing was really my favorite part about it. Um, But I really, really loved going to Nome, Alaska. Um, I went with my dad and we just had such an amazing time with both the birds and the scenery. And I loved how like wild it was out there. You go a mile outside of the town and there's just nobody there. And it's just wide open landscapes and just so many beautiful breeding birds um, on top of the amazing landscape. So that was definitely a highlight spot, but bird wise, it was, it's hard to beat some of the the migration places like the Texas coast during migration and Florida, that whole stretch from April to May, I, I drove from, well, I drove from like Colorado down to Texas over to Florida and, and over to Southeast Arizona. And so that whole stretch was just incredible hitting um, South Texas and, in prime migration time, as well as the coastal spots. That was probably my, my favorite birding experiences as well as Southeast Arizona in May too. And that was also great, but, um, yeah. Did you have awesome. any,
0: did you have any crazy, uh, passer and migrant days in, in Texas?
2: I had some pretty crazy ones, nothing like fallout crazy, but, um, I mean, there's days just at like that South Padre Island convention center. I think I had almost a hundred species just, in a you know a few hours standing in basically a quarter mile location um so and I'm sure like 20 plus species of warblers and things like that it's always an amazing spectacle
0: well what were some of you, uh, you know you got around the state and uh, a lot of your trips were blasting here and there and a lot were exploring for a few days did you uh, mostly car camp or how did how how did you work that out
1: yeah definitely a lot of car camping or, or uh sleeping in the car, <laughs> both of that, and definitely a lot of blasting around. Um, to, to speak to Jason's year, we were talking about it actually, and uh, by traveling all these cool places and not going after a record, I think a record you may have broken is the most fun had in an ABA big year. <laughs> Sounds awesome and, and a lot less stressful. I know for sure, like chasing rarities, hunting for rarities, trying to push that number up was definitely, definitely stressful. There's, there's definitely, it's still fun because it's birding, but it makes it a little less fun, especially as you're, you're getting up there. I definitely did my fair
2: share of that as well, but yes, (laughs) I definitely had lots of fun.
0: I don't know what you guys think, but, but I think that uh, stakeouts are some of the most miserable birding in the world
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely can be (laughs) you can
0: spend five or six hours of watching for one bird in a kind of sometimes cold or rainy and miserable spot and you know if you don't find the bird you feel like what am i doing here and even if you do find the bird sometimes you think what was i doing here
2: yeah (laughs) well what was your most miserable stake out of the year
1: (laughs) it's definitely got to be the ross's goose um Mostly because it's not that rare of a bird. You know, it's it's right. a great bird, but they show up a couple times every year in Washington. And, you know, this you know, that takes a lot of the excitement out of it if you even do see it. But the particular day I went for it, it was just like pouring rain. It took probably six hours or something like that, just looking through thousands of snow geese down in Vancouver, Washington. And then when I finally did see it, this flock immediately flushed. So I saw it for, you know, 10 seconds, probably no photos or anything. And so it's just like, <laughs> so terrible for a bird. That's cool, but you know, not that great. What about you? Oh man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I had so many experiences where I felt like I like, put in so much effort and then got the bird at the last moment, you know, the last hope. <laughs> um I can't really think of what was the most miserable one was though. Um I definitely did some pretty harsh weather conditions. You know what actually was pretty rough was uh white tail ptarmigan at mm. Loveland Pass in Colorado. It wasn't <laughs> I, you know, it was right actually I I uh actually met up with Will in the afternoon. Well, he was in in Denver uh, right after I chased the tarmigan. But um, I, it was, I don't know. I want to say it was like 25, 30 degrees. It was cold, but not crazy, but it was windy. And this bird, I probably spent like two or three hours out there trying to scan the slopes and stuff. And it was just bone chilling cold with the wind. And obviously using a scope and the wind is never easy either. I'm looking for a white bird on white snow. And <laughs> that was pretty bad, but I did end up finding one. Um,
1: and so that was, it was worth it. <laughs> at least you had your several inches of beard and long hair keeping you warm. Yeah, I did. Yeah.
0: I see you shaved. <laughs> was that a celebration of the year?
1: Yeah. There,
2: I had, I think uh, at the start of COVID, I just didn't get a haircut. Cause you know, that was, you know, you didn't want to get haircuts during COVID at the beginning. And then I just kind of kept growing it out and <laughs> Uh, I finally cut it in the summertime but I, that was like a year and a half of <laughs> growing it out and the that two I did a two-month-long road trip and I didn't shave the whole time so I was uh, looking pretty scruffy there in the springtime it was a good look
0: <laughs> it worked you know young handsome guys can pull off any look you know it works
2: <laughs> yeah it's out of Texas a couple times actually Uh, Some people pointed to me and went, oh,
0: Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, So, Jason, what were were some of the national parks that you most enjoyed?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I ended up going to, I think it was 21 national parks last year. So quite a lot. Um, I think my favorite ones, though, were the ones in Utah. Um, Just spectacular. So first I went to Arches. And that was just so unique, such a unique place. I I definitely really liked it for that. I was I you know heard it was cool, but I wasn't expecting quite how amazing it was as far as how different it was than other places. Um, and I camped the night there and did a walk like first thing in the morning, and it was pretty crowded. Um, and I did a hike, like one of the main hikes that goes to a lot of the different arches, but. Uh, one of the benefits of sleeping out of your car is you're at the trailhead first thing. As soon as you hop out of bed, you're at the trailhead. So, um, I got out and got to every arch before anybody else. So I didn't see anybody the entire hike until I got back. So I was seeing the the amazing arches in first, you know, dawn light, and no one else was there. <laughs> it was pretty special. Uh, so that was definitely a highlight. And then. Um, in May, I went to a couple other ones in Utah, but I think the highlight was definitely Zion. Um, just absolutely epic landscapes there. And I walked in the Narrows, which is very popular. And that's a really special experience as well. So those are definitely some of the highlight national parks. Cool. Jason,
0: you did a lot of recording this year, too. I saw on your, uh, your Instagram page that you did over 200 species recorded.
2: Yeah, I don't really know how that ended up happening. <laughs> I uh, I guess just once I started getting in the habit of like, oh, there's this bird singing in front of me or whatever, vocalizing, I can get a recording. Um, I just kind of got in the habit of doing that. And so whenever there was an opportunity where a bird was cooperatively vocalizing, I would just record it. So yeah, I ended up it was something like 200, 250 species or something. But yeah, that was definitely not something I was trying to do originally started happening
0: and I think I saw you you made comment that you have uh, either recording or photographic documentation of all the species you listed
2: yeah that was not originally a goal um, I think it was just like January 1st I went out and I you know was seeing everything was new year birds and I just started taking pictures of them and it's like oh just in case I want to have documentation of stuff but somehow that just ended up continuing throughout the whole year and I was already planning to take a lot of pictures. You know, when you go to places like Texas and and Florida and places where you're going to see birds that you don't usually get to see, or at least for me, um, I usually just take pictures of all the exciting stuff for me. So it ended up just working out that I got pictures of everything, uh, besides the birds I didn't I didn't see at all. But I got recordings of my herd only. So sure, it's awesome. Well,
0: in in uh, in a. Uh, area as big as the, the lower 48 even the, the, including Alaska, there's obviously a lot of places you haven't been before. Will you've only been in Washington five or six years, maybe something like that. Uh, and uh, so did you get to go to some uh, some new places during the course of the year that were pretty fun and exciting for you?
1: Uh, let's see. that's a good question. I think in terms of you know, large scale, I think it actually been to most everywhere that I went this year, um, there were some sort of smaller spots that I hadn't been to before. Um, and then there definitely were just some areas that I birded a lot more extensively and really got to know more than I had, um, you know, like watch like Eastern Washington birding. I hadn't birded out there in the fall before I'd only basically done one spring trip out there. And so it was really fun to get, to, get to know Eastern Washington birding quite a bit more and, and see how, they really have really visible migration, you know, sometimes in the Western Washington, there's so many trees that it sort of gets dispersed out and you can't really see the volume of birds moving through. So it's fun to see that in Eastern Washington. And then the, I guess the other thing is actually just getting to explore around the blue mountains a little bit more. And that's just, you know, in the far Southeastern corner of the state, it's a really cool area that gets sort of a little bit of birding coverage, where it's close to Walla Walla in that sort of western side of the mountains, but really driving in a little further and checking out some of the forests in there was just a cool experience, just a really ecologically unique area. And Mike Denny could tell you a lot more about that too. I don't have much info on some of the non-bird species there, but it's a cool place.
0: I was wondering if you got to get out with Mike or Mary Lynn while you're over there.
1: I didn't, you know, I've met him before, but, but I've heard some great things. Maybe that'll be the, uh, the goal of this year is just to go birding with more Washington birders.
0: Yeah. Mike is just, I had him on as a guest before. And when I had him on as a guest, we did it uh, in the field. We went out and he, he helped me find my uh, life or great gray owl at a area where they nest over in the blues and uh we ken brown was with me we sat down on the edge of a road watching these three fledgling great gray owls and just talked for an hour and mike is just what a breadth of knowledge he just knows seems like he knows about the plants and the animals and the water and the uh, geology and just everything about the area he's just a really uh well diversified naturalist just super nice guy
2: yeah, it seems it.
0: Yeah.
2: I was hoping someone would uh, bring up the topic of Great Gray Owl.
0: Yeah. I, I saw <laughs> your photos. Wow. That
2: tell, tell us about it. You know,
0: it was the last trip of the year this year, wasn't
2: it? Yeah. Uh, this will irk Will a little bit, I'm sure. Um, and for those that don't know, Will did not get Great Gray Owl on his year list, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but somehow I did without trying. Um, I went out to Okanagan in the last few days of the year because I still needed gray partridge, <laughs> which is significantly easier to find than great gray owl in Washington. Um, however, while I was searching for gray partridge, there was a great gray owl on the side of the road in the middle of the day, <laughs> and got <laughs> some incredible looks at that, um, and I did end up getting gray partridge at the last second <laughs> of the
1: day, amazingly That took me that long to find that book. I really used to like you. You, Yeah, (laughs) you're a good friend, but that that was painful. I don't know if I can forgive you for that. (laughs) I did. uh, After I found that, I texted Will and I told him I'd I'd make him a
2: trade offer of great gray owl. Yeah,
0: I missed that. Can you say that great gray owl for what?
2: For great partridge, because that was before I'd I'd spotted that, and I I said I think it's going to be a pretty good deal for you, Will,
1: but. <laughs> i know i don't know why that didn't go through but uh yep. still cool i'm glad you got to see it but man it's a tough <laughs> bird put in a lot of hours for that one
0: it is especially a tough bird in the winter up in the up in the okanagan area i've i probably made 15 20 winter trips up there and i'm over the, the the one trip that ken and his class uh found the bird was uh, one of the years i didn't go and it's it's just you just got to be a little bit lucky to it's not like it's hard to see if it's around. I mean, it's a big, big gray bird, you know, in a white landscape. But, uh, but you know, they're just not visible most of the time. I think.
2: Yeah, they're tough. Yeah, I've been up sure. there many, many times, specifically looking for them and never seen them. But of course, I find one when I wasn't even looking for one. So <laughs> that's how it works.
0: Was it your was it your great gray owl year, or you ha- you had that? No,
2: I had seen them in Saxon Bog, um, so I actually in february and then when i went to saxon bog in was that june i also saw one there so i'd seen them previously. so just uh just a bird just to annoy will with really yeah <laughs>
0: what else are friends for if they can't give each other a little grief uh the saxon bog is a place that's always been on my want to go list uh both you know both for the breeding birds and for the winter birds what's it like there is it i i i envision it just being like a remote area with roads and roads and roads is that sort of what it's like or
2: yeah well it's completely flat um so unlike you know okanagan which is very hilly um it's very flat and it's just very beautiful snowy landscape roads and then it's yeah kind of out and no no man's land and but there's often lots of birders in the winter time and there's feeder stations that um you know congregate a lot of a lot of birds there so things like boreal chickadee and red poles and stuff you get really nice looks at so it's pretty special for that and then there's also since there's a lot of birds there they share a lot of the sighting information so like if there's a great gray owl scene in a spot people will kind of let let the word out and you can kind of go to the same places that other people were going and so that's great but i actually almost enjoyed it more in the summertime it was really really fun and i saw one other person out there i think in the 24 hours i spent out there and it was just at a connecticut warbler spot which is a great bird so yeah. Lots of, lots of breeding warblers there and other fun boreal forest breeding birds. So definitely highly suggest going in the summer sometime.
0: Yeah. I, red poles are funny. I, uh, I started birding when I was in the, in the army at New York, I was stationed at West Point, New York. And there are lots of bird feeders at West Point, you know, all the military families, a lot of them put up feeders. And the, the one winter I was there that I was birding my last year there it was a, a big year for red poles. And they were just, I mean, I thought red poles are the most common bird in the world. There were just flocks of dozens and hundreds at every feeder. I said, like, yeah, I said, oh, a really cool bird, but I didn't, you know, take anything off it. Didn't, didn't know any better, and uh, came out here and it's like a red pole. Oh my gosh. Like, oh well, I thought they were common, but it's all all a matter of what what you're used <laughs> to and where you are.
2: Another good, good year <laughs> this year. It,
0: it, it's been pretty good. I just got back from uh, four days in the Okanagan and did not see a red pole though. Uh, So uh, I think they're they're (laughs) all over the place, but I don't think they're in huge numbers most places. It seems like.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's been some around Seattle, but not huge numbers.
0: I saw them at Green Lake, but I didn't see them in the Okinawa. That's
2: funny.
0: Uh, were there were there uh fortuitous finds were, did did either of you find uh, birds completely when you didn't expect them during the course of the year you know just uh we're looking for one thing and stumble across something else it was a kind of a cool find
1: yeah I mean definitely the, we already mentioned the winter wren that was probably the biggest example of that just because I barely started the year off and was birding a spot that I've birded a million times and saw you know I haven't found a first state record for any state before. So that was, you know, a, a pretty huge shock, just trying to get some common winter birds and seeing that. Sure. Um, I don't know. Do you have any, Jason? I'll, I'll think about it some more. Yeah, I,
2: I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I also have, you know, 717 birds to think through. <laughs> but um, it, uh, I, I do know that some rarities definitely popped up along my path that I didn't find, but that was very fortuitous. Like, um, when I was coming across the middle of the country in July, I was just entering Nevada when a common crane was found in Nevada and in July, which is like kind of random. And I was like, what are the odds of that happening as I was entering? So I was able to see that bird. Um, and that was a bird that I had not been able to get previously in the year. Um, even though one showed up in Washington and in other places across the country. And I was always like, Oh, I'm not able to chase that. But then, yeah, it just kind of popped up right along my path, which was great.
1: That's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that because that reminds me of a similar sort of situation with me. Um, It was up in Port Townsend, which is a spot. i That's actually one spot that I haven't birded much before this year. And I just birded it probably two or three times. And uh I think this was in August, early August, I decided to just go up and do a little sea watching. Um, there's some great sea watching there because stuff is sort of flowing in and out of the sound. And uh, total last minute trip, wasn't even planning to go up. And then as I was up there, I got a text from Steve Hampton, who sort of recently moved to Port Townsend. And he's, you know, he's a good birder from California, so he knows how to find Eastern rarities. And he had found an Eastern wood peewee, which... It's a very good bird. I think it's, I can't remember what it was, second state record or yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think Matt Yanni had one over on the east side a few years ago, but uh, yeah, it, it, but I think it was a second, yeah.
1: Yeah, super rare. And so he texted me about that and I happened to be 20 minutes away from this bird. And so I- wondered,
0: I, I wondered how you got down there so fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how. it was, It would have been absolutely impossible without already being within 20 minutes of the bird. So I zoomed over there, I was, you know, met up with Steve, and then I think there's one other person there, and uh, we waited around at the spot, he actually had talked to the homeowner, so it was on private property, so if Steve wasn't there, I wouldn't have been able to get to the place where it was, and then probably 15 minutes of waiting, and we heard the bird sing just once, heard it clearly, but only once, and then it didn't sing once more, we never saw it, and then nobody saw it any of the days after that. So, I mean, that was ridiculous that I happened to be there for that. That was about as lucky as you can get. (laughs)
0: Lucky that it's such a distinctive song, too.
1: (laughs) For sure. For sure.
0: (laughs) Not like you wonder what that guy was. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, Well, I'm going to divert a little bit. Now you are living here in Pierce County, Washington. And so in a matter of just the four years of college and a couple of years after that, you now are the record holder for not just Washington State, but Pierce County. Uh, So you had a little (laughs) little bit of, uh, you know, big year experience on a smaller scale. Uh, That was uh, a cool year too. Did you start out the year thinking that or did that just sort of happen along as the year went by?
1: Uh, for the Pierce County year. Yeah. Yeah. That one I had actually planned quite a bit more than this year as it happens. Um, that one, I, yeah, I had no idea what I was going to be doing after college. So I thought I might leave Washington. And so I figured that that was the year I was doing summer research in Washington. So it'd be the only year that I actually would be in the County for a whole year. Mm -hmm. And so I really approached that year with a very similar strategy to this one of sort of searching for rarities and, you know, it's a county year. So it was super fun and much more low key, mostly just birding on the weekends and that sort of thing. And so definitely helped for preparing for this year, but that year is very, that record's very beatable. There's, there've been some, some new spots. Dune peninsula is a great spot. Mm -hmm. birding out in the far eastern part of the county and highway 410 in the spring you know i think that record is pretty easily beatable with a lot of hours obviously which whether somebody wants to spend that much time (laughs) it's in pierce county
0: a talented birder (laughs) wants to put in the work you think that's uh yeah beatable and i'm guessing that the state record could be with nia bay i mean birders who from out of state might not know what it means to not have nia bay in a big year but Nia Bay is, is the premier migrant trap, uh, migrant location in Washington unquestionably. Uh, and it's also in some the time of year when, you know, there aren't that many other things to do, you know, <laughs> that, that, you know, late October, November, early December timeframe is the peak, seems like the peak time to be in uh, Nia Bay and, you know, so yeah, I think you probably missed two or three, at least, if not more species that could have been found and uh, some others that could have been found more easily.
1: For sure. Yeah. Um, that definitely was a big, big loss. It was nice that I was able to pick up at least some of the more regular neobirds. It's like, you know, blue gray gnat catcher and orchard oriole and that sort of thing. But as you said, a little more difficulty in that one. Um, I think one small, nice thing was that, you know, if Nia was open, I probably would have been there throughout September as well. Um, Mm -hmm. just because tons of rarities show up then as well, probably even early August. And, uh, I found a lot of nice things out in Eastern Washington and I certainly wouldn't have spent as much time out in Eastern Washington if it weren't for that. So, you know, who knows, who knows how much I lost or gained depending on that. But but I agree. I think the record is definitely beatable and I hope people continue trying to do it because I think it's great for Washington Burberry having that many people going for it. I think
2: the record is 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 very impressive to have gone that without Nia Bay, in my opinion. I, I remember you like we met up in the summer or something, and you were eyeing the potential of reading the record. And I was like, well, if Nia Bay opens up, you're definitely gonna get it. If it doesn't, <laughs> you're gonna have to work hard. <laughs> and yeah, you did it and smashed it without new Bay so
1: definitely very impressive well thanks appreciate it and yeah that's that's true you forecasted that I did have to work pretty hard <laughs> it was a grind
0: yeah uh, big years can be a grind I, I liked your approach Jason though of uh, trying to make it a really fun grind as opposed to at all expense go all over the place find every single possible species uh, that's a great attitude to go about an endeavor like this with
2: yeah I agree I I I didn't really see, I mean, to, to go for an ABA or North American big year record, it takes an absolute crazy amount of effort and money and high stress. (laughs) So I just was like, you know, I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to go for as much as I can and enjoy my time doing it. So,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, there have been very few people who've seen as many birds in the AB in the lower 48 in a year as you did. I mean, I'd say less than 10, wouldn't you say probably?
2: Yeah, I, I, you can look at Wikipedia and it has a list of like uh, some of the people and there's a, there's actually a guy who compiles the big year birders lists onto an Excel sheet, which is kind of funny because you can compare your, the actual species list. So I can see what other people in big years what birds they got mm-hmm. that I didn't, which ones I got that they didn't get. Um, but yeah, it's, I, cause I only spent one week in Alaska and so most people that are and you know historically have done the like aba continental thing which is lower 48 states canada and alaska um, they end up spending a lot more time in alaska than i did so i ended up spending all but a week in the lower 48 states so my year list for the lower 48 ends up comparably being pretty impressive uh as like historically
0: there was a, a, a... Uh, Tiffany Kirsten uh, did a big year this year too, a lower 48 big year. And, uh, she, we've been trying to, uh, get her Wi-Fi working well enough to do an episode. We failed a couple of <laughs> times with, uh, with unreliable connections. I think next week is going to be better maybe, but it was a, it was a good year for uh, lower 48 big year birds.
2: Yeah. And she, she ended up breaking the record and I met up with her a few times, saw her, um, at least like three pelagics and, um, lastly, in uh, New Hampshire in December, I saw her as well. So.
0: Very cool. Well, you did what, just a couple of pelagics this year, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. I definitely got pretty lucky in terms of the birds I got on those trips. Um, I did three, which I sort of was pretty strategic about when I picked them. I did a March one, a July one, and I think it was a late August one, sort of. Spaced out that I should have been able to get all the regular pelagic birds, which I actually did, which was pretty amazing. Plus a couple tricky ones, Laysan albatross and parakeet auklet were both pretty sweet and Manx Shearwater all on that March trip. And then the big miss in terms of those was the July trip. I didn't get Leech's storm petrel, which was the only reason I went on that trip. But then I was fortunate that it was, you know, a historic stormy fall so there were quite a few blown in by those storms so i was actually able to see those in october from beaches which was pretty pretty bizarre <laughs> pretty crazy we had some good views together of them like we right did up, yeah
2: the <laughs> ocean shores is pretty amazing
0: were you out of town when the when the tube noses came by dune that couple of days after a big storm that was the craziest time
2: i was here for some of that and yeah i, I did some watching and discovery park and it was crazy <laughs> yeah, definitely very uh historically unusual I, I think i had like three or four tube no species in one morning at discovery one day it was crazy
1: it's nuts yeah i caught a little bit of that too um i sort of got i think it was the day after the main push but i still got some full mars from dune and then earlier in the, the fall i had the short-tailed shearwaters waters when they came through
0: yeah. it's amazing It was, it was something, I mean, no, I think that was that, I don't know if that was the first county record for Fulmar or not, it might not have been, but I'm sure it was the first time, you know, dozens of Fulmars were seen in a day.
1: Yeah, I think there was one invasion of a similar magnitude and I forget when that was years ago. Um, But I mean, this was pretty remarkable having such diversity too. I mean, having short-tailed shearwaters
0: Didn't you have thick-billed myrrh also? Was that in that same time
1: frame? Yeah, that was similar time frame. That was a a crazy day because that was a bird that was found by Charlie um, Mm -hmm. down at Dune. And he sort of gave me a call in the morning right before I had an interview. And so I was, you know, like scrambling down there to look for it. And then we actually caught a second one flying by at Dune. um, And I ran back home, did my interview and then went out to point D and actually got the thick-billed myrrh on the water. Um, got photos and and awesome views and that was the bird that tied it up um, for the record which was right you know an awesome one because that was a lifer for me and just I mean a really cool looking beautiful bird Um, and then to break the record I actually that day ended up doing a three-hour drive down to Skamania County for Blackburnian Warbler and then driving home so it was a a crazy day with a lot of driving and, and some great birds, you know. And it felt an, like and a, an
0: interview mixed in the middle. I'm sure you're yeah. fully, fully engaged in that interview, Well, I'm sure there was <laughs> nothing else on your mind.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a crazy day, for sure. But uh, it seemed sort of fitting for a day to, to break the record. Definitely felt, felt like some Nia Bay quality birding, easily. And Jason, you struggled a little bit with thick-billed myrrh. <laughs> yeah now it's my time to
2: be annoyed i guess yeah. <laughs> i went right after will found that thick goldmer and he was on his way to the black warbler so he couldn't help me find it and i did not find it myself <laughs> and i went back the next day and i didn't see it and then i failed to find any in the northeast
0: oh really okay
2: that was a miss for me this this past year and also it would be a life bird so that was frustrating for sure but
0: I don't think of them as being that hard in the Northeast.
2: Okay. They're quite tricky. Um, In the like February, March, they're significantly easier, Mm -hmm. uh, but I was really prepared to do that. (laughs) So I, I did not go in February, March, and I kind of hoped I would find one in December. Um, I had a couple times we had birds that, you know, there's razor bills and common birds out there that can look awfully similar. (laughs) And we had a couple of, Oh is that a thick bill murder? Uh, I don't know so I, I had that um, numerous times this year but um and even that day that that will ended up seeing that thick blueer in Tacoma we had a bird fly by from discovery park that was a potential candidate as well uh but you know it's hard with those common birds being so variable so definitely frustrating
0: yeah, it helps to have somebody with a, a vast experience with those birds like Charlie to to get get on it and confirm what your eyes are telling you
1: that's for sure he, he was telling me about how to i dm and he's like yeah you know i've seen a couple thousand of them it's like yeah that's that's a depth of knowledge that's pretty useful
0: for sure if you guys had to pick one bird that you thought you would get will it's probably gray al for you i'm guessing one bird that you thought you'd get this year you didn't think would be that difficult that you missed what would you guys say it was
1: yeah, you nailed it. Great gray owl would probably be it. I, I actually even saw one in 2020 in Washington at a sort of nest stakeout. And so mm-hmm. I had info on a nest this year and just didn't end up connecting with it there. And then, you know, after hours of searching in the fall, I figured I'd just eventually luck into it. You know, it seems like one of those birds where you just put enough time in, it's going to happen, but a little luck involved, of course. So, so that, that was probably the one that I thought would happen that didn't. But of course, it's great gray owl. I can't feel too bad about it, you know? It's yeah. a very elusive bird.
0: I, th- I think that that should be part of the name, the elusive great gray owl.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about you, um, Jason? Yeah, for me, it's
2: it's Jeer falcon. I, you know, earlier in the year, I definitely wasn't pushing quite as hard as I was towards the end of the year to, you know, rack up the species count. And I had a couple opportunities early in the year to look for jirafogon that I did not take. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll get it later. I'll get it later. But obviously that was a, a bad mistake. <laughs> um, and come December, I still needed it and tried a couple times up in Skagit, looked for them all through the Waterville plateau on that same trip that I saw the uh, great gray owl. Um, and yeah, I just didn't connect with the one. I spent the last day of the year at up at March point in Skagit County where there had been one scene actually first found on a day that I spent there. <laughs> I was there, I had left and I was like, I don't know, 30 minutes away. And I heard that one was seen and I almost turned back around, but then it was dark. So, and then I, so I tried again on the last day of the year, spent all day there and it never showed up. So that was unfortunate because I totally could have gotten that. Bird <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but was it was it
0: 2021 that the bird was at West Haven? Was that this year? Yeah. It that, was. that was absolutely the most cooperative year I've it was like a pet. It just sat there on that one pole for like two weeks. Jason.
2: Yeah. So I <laughs> I that is that you're nailing the bird that I particularly could have gone to look for. I was going down to California in January. I did a road trip down there and I remember thinking, Oh, it adds like two hours to the drive. If I, you know, pop out there or whatever, I'm like, Oh, I already have to drive like 15 hours. I don't want to add two hours, you know, but of course, looking back on that, I was like, Oh, it was only two hours extra. And I could have gotten it, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, you live and you learn. So.
0: For sure. So Jason, uh, I want to uh, make sure people know how, uh, Uh, Tell again about your Instagram uh, uh, post and how people can find that and what you have there for people to look at.
2: Yeah. So the Instagram account is at Jason 2021 big year. And I just throughout the year was uh, periodically posting highlights on like, uh, you know, main highlight moments and birds uh, as posts. And then also posted stories, which are now uh, still there in the highlights. So basically it has a whole overview of my year and during the year people are, you know, following along live, which was fun. But now it has a whole collection of a lot of the pictures and, you know, lots of videos of scenery and whatnot. So you can go back there and see a lot of the, a lot of the experiences I had this year in the Instagram account. So
0: Very cool. Well, you didn't really, uh, go in any kind of social media, public way of posting yours, but uh, those of us in Pierce County who watch what each other's doing, get to follow you year pretty closely and cheer you on. Uh, And uh, so that's cool. Uh, What's up next for you guys? You're both, what, a couple of three years out of college and are are looking towards the future. I I don't mean to sound like a grandmother, but what's up for you guys?
1: Well, um, probably a little less birding coming up. (laughs) Uh, I am currently applying for PhD programs um, at a couple schools. So if all goes to plan, that'll be the next step. So I'll be very sad to most likely be leaving the state in, you know, probably next fall for however many, five years or so. And then who knows what after that point, but uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, still being around birds and still thinking about birds, but but sort of thinking more about evolution and ecology and, and sort of having a more scientific focus on birds.
0: So that's that's uh, the interested field of study is sort of evolution, how species form and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. My undergrad research was mostly focused on speciation, thinking about how song recognition can, can be a factor that causes speciation. And I think, you know, as in my PhD, I might broaden my focus a little bit more thinking about species diversity and other factors that might affect that. So one of those being ext- extinction or, you know, hybridization that causes fusion of species. So things that are um, negative um, effects on diversity that reduce diversity. So, you know, it's going to be exciting stuff. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into it because, uh, you know, the rush of finding a rare bird is, is, Pretty similar to the rush of doing some analysis and suddenly having results after spending months and months collecting data and working on your code and that sort of thing. So, so it really it satisfies a similar thing for me.
0: Good for you. How about you, Jason? We talked a little bit before we started recording. You're uh, in the job search.
2: Yes, uh, not quite as exciting as Will, but I'm. I was a bit <laughs> major and just looking into like finance jobs at the moment. Um, hopefully. We'll find something as soon as possible and looking to stay in the Seattle area for the near future and uh, doing lots of local birding. I'm always going to be doing lots of birding. So that that's inevitable. But the, the job will probably slow that down for sure.
0: <laughs> there, there's a time in life for all things. And you guys have been uh, grabbing the time of life you've got for all it's worth. So good for you. Uh, And thanks for doing this with me. I wish you both the best in your uh, uh, future. And congratulations to both of you on a spectacular use of uh, COVID 2021. There's not much better to do than go birding these days. And uh, you guys did it uh, with gusto.
1: Thanks,
2: Ed. Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. That was great to talk. And congrats, Will.
1: Great record, man. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats to you.
0: Yeah, I think, I think uh, Will's right. You may hold the record with the most fun head on a big year without uh, stressing out about it. So good for you. T- take care, guys.
1: <laughs> you too, you too. too. See ya.
0: Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast, episode number 121 with Jason Vasallo and Will Brooks. Both of them had extraordinary ways to spend a difficult 2021. I am certainly jealous of the places they saw, people they met, birds they saw. And uh, I think. Both of them had extraordinary years. Will broke the record for Washington, but I think Jason uh, may have had one of the most fun big years ever had by a birder. It sounds like he got to see fabulous places, uh, meet really cool people, see really cool birds, and had a great year. And to not minimize uh, the accomplishment, uh, he is one of the top ABA big year birders ever. And there really haven't been that many other birders who've done put up numbers like he did. So fabulous years for both of them and really fun to talk to them. I'll make sure I put... Uh, links in the podcast notes and in the blog post that I put up associated with this on com ways you can find more about their big years if you're interested. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, good birding, good day.